Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is a popular game show that gives contestants an opportunity to win $1 million. Do you want to be a millionaire? If Jesus is your savior, guess what? You are worth a fortune in Christ. Listen to these words from Ephesians 1 and verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Spiritual blessings galore. That's the idea. Paul writes these words to believers in Christ who possess every spiritual blessing. Now that you know you're a spiritual millionaire in Christ, stop thinking and acting like a pauper. I'm Ron Jones. And this is something good. You may not know it yet, but if you're a believer in Christ, you have been made spiritually wealthy. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for this Tuesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well, the book of Ephesians is one of four prison epistles written by the Apostle Paul. He was under house arrest in Rome when he penned this letter. The Ephesian believers were living like spiritual paupers, and Paul wanted to change their perspective. Perhaps you need a change of perspective today. If so, stay with us now as Ron moves ahead in his series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast at Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now with today's Something Good Radio message, Ephesians, Basic Christianity. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Well, as we begin this morning, I, I want you to do your best to imagine something. All right, turn on that part of your brain, that right part of your brain that sees pictures and imagines. Imagine a magnificent Mediterranean metropolis, a populous destination known as the Queen City of Asia, located on the west coast of modern Turkey. Are you there with me? I'm just helping you transport to this magnificent Mediterranean metropolis. Picture also the uh, cultural heartland of ancient Greece 2,000 years ago and a thriving seaport with a robust religious vibe, uh, the kind of vibe where people gathered at a pagan temple known as the Temple of Artemis, known at that time as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Fancy a library where students from a famous school of philosophy studied. And then I want you to visualize a, a zealous missionary of the Lord Jesus Christ arriving at this ancient city and instructing the inhabitants of the city to stop worshiping man-made gods. Are you still with me? Got the picture in your mind? Now, I also want you to imagine a, um, a theater, uh, an outdoor theater that seats 25,000 people and it's packed with people. And these people are all stirred up. They're in a riotous mood. They're shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. They're shouting this because they learned from a, a silversmith made, named Demetrius, 
who made silver shrines of Artemis. Uh, little household gods you could buy at the store and take home with you. Little Artie, you know, little Artie, the, the pagan god. You can take him home with you, put him on the shelf, bow down and worship him. They learned from Demetrius that the Apostle Paul had disturbed their commercial business in no small way because this zealous missionary of the Lord Jesus Christ came to the city of Ephesus and he preached Christ and him crucified. And you know what happened? People came to faith in Christ. And they stopped going to the temple of Artemis. And they stopped buying the household gods. In fact, they threw them in the trash. And business collapsed. And Demetrius and others were mad and they stirred up people in the city, 25,000 of them gathered in the, in the theater. And the Apostle Paul wanted to go to the theater. Uh, Acts chapter 19 tells us he wanted to go to the theater and preach a message to them, but some of his ministry team members said, you know, Paul, I don't think it's a really good idea. I think they want your head. So instead, Paul laid low and um, waited for the, quiet, the riot to quiet down, and he departed for Macedonia, and later he delivered his message by letter. And it's the letter we have in our Bible called the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians. And it's our next stop on the ultimate road trip uh, through the Bible. Paul made his way to Miletus, according to Acts chapter 20, where he called the Ephesian elders to, to come say goodbye. And uh, Acts chapter 20 is a, is, a, is a beautiful picture. Paul had served as the missionary and the church planter in Ephesus for three years. He stayed in Ephesus longer than any other you know, city where he planted a church. He, he called to the elders to come and visit him, and after a tearful goodbye, the apostle left for Jerusalem. He said he was constrained by the Spirit to go, but the Spirit had told him that he would suffer much, and Paul did. After the tearful goodbye, he, he, he went to Jerusalem, and uh, there were some loyal Jews in the holy city that uh, didn't like Paul, they didn't like his preaching, it wasn't Jewish enough, and uh, they stirred up the crowd against Paul and had him arrested. And for his own safety, and because Paul appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, uh, they sent him to Rome, where he was under house arrest for two years. And the book of Ephesians, this letter to the Ephesians, is one of four prison epistles. Uh, the others being um, Colossians and Philippians and Philemon. This is the message that Paul wanted to preach. He wanted to go to that riotous theater and preach this message and get them to say not, oh, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but great is Jesus who is the Christ. He, he wanted to get them transitioned in that way, but the letter would suffice. And in his letter, he does what Paul customarily does. He lays out his doctrine in the first half of the book, and then the duties and responsibilities we have as believers in Jesus Christ to live out who we are in Christ and what we believe and what is true. He goes from doctrine to the duties and the responsibilities. It's only six chapters, but oh, Ephesians is just one of these great, great books of the New Testament, and it's one to master. I'm going to give you an overview this morning just chapter by chapter. And in chapter one, Paul begins very quickly by introducing us to our spiritual wealth in Christ. In chapter one and verse three, he writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
Now this verse contains a summary appraisal of our spiritual wealth in Christ by telling us what we inherited, he calls them spiritual blessings, where it is located, he says it's in the heavenly realms, a phrase that he will use five or six times in the book of Ephesians. Who gave it, the Father, and why it was given to us. He says, praise be to God. And in so many words, Paul writes this to the Ephesians and to us to tell us this, we who are in Christ, you are worth a fortune in Christ. Say that with me, I am worth a fortune in Christ. The problem is the Ephesian believers were ignorant of their spiritual wealth and they were living like spiritual paupers. And the Ephesians, like many Christians today, remind me of people on the, well, on that uh, popular program on the PBS channel, is it called, uh, Antiques Roadshow? You ever seen that one? You know, where, where uh, the experts come and appraise family heirlooms and that flea market find and antiques and collectibles. And, you know, the people who have these items want to know, is it trash or is it treasure? And the experts appraise the value of it. And I love the look of surprise on some people's faces when they learn that that trinket, that thingamajib, that, that thing they you know, dusted off from their attic is a real piece of treasure. The kind of treasure that will change their retirement years and make it more golden. I mean, it's worth a fortune. It reminds me of the time that my mother sold our baseball cards collection in, in you know, some garage sale, and I'm like, oh, they were worth a fortune. And so I went to work when I graduated college. Otherwise, I might not have had to. <laughs> Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he's saying, you are worth a fortune in Christ. You just don't know it. The spiritual wealth that you have. We should not be surprised to learn we are spiritually rich. He uses a phrase, the phrase, in Christ. Paul loves that phrase. He uses it more than 30 times in the book of Ephesians, at least 10 times in the first chapter, and throughout his New Testament epistles. You who are in Christ, he says, you're worth a fortune. It's the key to unlocking the value of our heavenly inheritance. Now, in Christ means more than just being saved from sin's penalty. It suggests living in personal and vital union with Jesus, as a branch is to a vine, as a man and woman are in marriage, as a head connects to other members of a body in a single organism. To be in Christ means you are in vital union with Him. And all the spiritual wealth we possess, the inheritance we received, is because we are in Christ. And the fact that our blessings also exist in the heavenly realms, not in heaven, but the heavenly realms. This is the invisible realm. This is the unseen spiritual realm where there's a whole lot going on. He says our, our inheritance in Christ, it's in the heavenly realms. What that tells us is the most valuable things in life cannot be seen. They're invisible. Don't go away. We're only about halfway through today's message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Today's teaching is part of Ron's series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Look for it online at somethinggoodradio.org. 
Hello, friend. I'm Ron Jones of Something Good Radio. All scripture is profitable for teaching and reproof. But let's face it, God gave us a lot of scripture. 66 books and more than 600,000 words, and it can sometimes be a little overwhelming to read. That's why I wrote my new book, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, to help you navigate your way through the highways and byways of God's Word and see how it all fits together so brilliantly, how every path, every passage, and every page points to Jesus, who is the Christ. The book comes in two volumes. Volume one covers the 39 books of the Old Testament, while volume two takes you through each of the 27 New Testament books. Both are now available to order, and I'd love to send them to you today. Here's Brian with details. The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible, Volume 1 and 2, can be yours today by request for your gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of something good. When you order the print versions, you'll also get instant access to the Route 66 Digital Library, a $275 value. The online library includes electronic versions of the book, plus video sermons, audio messages, and downloadable sermon notes on all 66 books of the Bible. Visit somethinggoodradio.org to request the two-volume set and to gain immediate access to the Route 66 digital library. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Pastor Ron, there are so many good books published every year. Why should someone buy The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible? And who did you have in mind when you wrote these literary travel guides through the Old and New Testaments? You know, Brian, your questions make me think of the words of wise Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 12. Of the making of many books, he writes, there is no end. And oh, how true that is. For what it's worth, as a Bible teaching pastor for more than 30 years, the ultimate road trip through the Bible is my way of helping people understand the overall story of Scripture and how all 66 books of the Bible fit together into a unified work of the Holy Spirit. I wrote with all kinds of people in mind, starting with the serious Bible student, even those who teach the Bible. I'm thinking of pastors, Sunday school teachers, and small group Bible study leaders who might use these two volumes in their preparation. But I also wrote for the person who is just getting acquainted with the Bible, which we all know is the best-selling book of all time. Brian, you can read The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible from beginning to end like any other book, or place it in your Bible study toolbox. I know that if you're a lifelong learner of God's Word as I am, you will return to the ultimate road trip through the Bible repeatedly. As companions to your personal Bible study, these books will always help you see the big picture before you dive into the details of any book of the Bible. That's why I'll be ordering my own copy, Pastor Ron. We're so glad you decided to share this important book with us. And you can get your copy today by going to somethinggoodradio.org. Both volumes of this great resource are yours as our way of saying thanks when you make a gift of $50 or more to support the ministry of Something Good. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. Salvation is not something we earn nor do we earn the spiritual blessings God has given us as a result. They were freely given to us at the moment of salvation. With the rest of today's Something Good radio message, Ephesians 
basic Christianity. Here's Dr. Ron Jones. Now again, the, 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 the Ephesians were ignorant of their spiritual wealth. And they were living like spiritual paupers. And Paul wanted to change their perspective. Now in the Greek language, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is a continuous unbroken sentence. If I wrote like that and send it, send it to my editor, my editor would say, Ron, we don't do run-on sentences. You know, let's use a period, a comma, you know, a, a semicolon or something like that to break it up a little bit. Paul's famous for these, at least in the Greek language. And he gets so excited about our spiritual blessings in Christ, he barely takes a breath in the first uh, half of chapter one here. But we could group his thoughts in uh, what I see as a Trinitarian flow. It might look like this. In verses three through six, the wealth of the Father is yours. In verses uh, seven through 12, the riches of the Son are yours. And then in verses uh, 13 and 14, the blessings of the Spirit are yours. Uh, he pulls together the entire Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to lay out before us and the Ephesians your spiritual wealth in Christ. More specifically, he says, in Christ, believers are, make note of this, chosen, holy, blameless, predestined, adopted, beloved, redeemed, forgiven. Are you getting the understanding here? But the good news doesn't end there. He goes on to say that God's children also possess a divine inheritance. Uh, we are joint heirs with Christ, to use language from uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. And you know what's great about this inheritance, the spiritual wealth in Christ? Nobody can take it from you. In verse 13 and 14, he tells us that the Holy Spirit guarantees our salvation with his seal. He puts his seal over top of this. And nobody can take away from you your spiritual inheritance in Christ and your status as somebody who is in Christ, if in fact you are. That's the first part of chapter 1. But let's move on to chapter two. We're going chapter by chapter here. Chapter two, the theme is by grace and through faith. And it doesn't get any more basic to Christianity than chapter two. But, but again, uh, it's, it's deep stuff. It's, it's profound stuff here. Paul begins chapter two by diagnosing our human condition. Read along with me in chapter two, beginning in verse one. He says, and notice the past tense here. He's writing to believers in Christ at the church in Ephesus, and he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, he says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I mean, next to Romans chapter 1, the latter part of Romans chapter 1, this is the most sobering passage of Scripture in the New Testament, diagnosing our human condition. It's not a pretty sight. And uh, before Christ made us alive in Him by faith, He says, we were spiritually dead. I always like to say, not sick and in need of some self-help medication. No, dead. I'm talking in the morgue, flatlined, spiritually dead. And like dead things, decaying rapidly. 
And we're walking around like spiritual zombies, like the walking dead. Physically alive, but spiritually dead apart from Christ. Isn't that the definition of a zombie? I mean, it is, I think. I'm not a big Walking Dead fan, but I think that's what it's like. Wearsby says this means that our world is one vast graveyard filled with people who are dead while alive. Yeah, there are all kinds of people. And you were once one of them, he says to the Ephesians. You who, who are now alive in Christ through your faith in Christ. This described you. You were once like a spiritual zombie, physically alive but spiritually dead. By the way, everybody is born that way. You inherited a sin nature. And that part of you that was created to have a relationship with God is dead on arrival in the maternity ward. That's why Jesus said you must be born again. That's getting beyond Ephesians, though. You wonder after verses 1 to 3 whether there's any hope for humanity. And then Paul's thinking shifts on two words beginning in verse 4. Look at it there. But God. (laughs) Say that with me. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He he loves this phrase. And he's going to expand on it in a few verses here. But he says, by grace you have been saved. And then he continues, and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that the coming ages, in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow, Paul just goes off in a completely different direction. But for God and what God did, through his son Jesus Christ, God makes all the difference. He made us alive in Christ. He set us free. Then he exalted us to a high position. Remember, you are worth a fortune in Christ. Exalted to a high position in the heavenly places. Why did he do all this, this wonderful thing? Well, because he loves us. Because he loves us. And Paul says, and because he is rich in mercy. Mercy me. Anybody need some mercy today? God is rich in mercy. Uh, He he has so much mercy. He has more mercy than all the millionaires and billionaires in the world have money collected together. God is rich in mercy. He has enough mercy for you this morning to withhold the punishment that is due you. Why, Why can God just shovel all this mercy upon us? Because of what Christ did for us on the cross in taking the penalty for our sin. He is rich in mercy. Then Paul summarizes the gospel in chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And he tells us that salvation happens by grace and through faith, not a result of works. That's verses 8 and 9. But for good works, that's verse 10. Don't miss that. You're not saved by good works. I don't care what your religious record looks like. I don't care how many times you've been to church or to Sunday school or what kind of a goody two-shoes you are. The Bible says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God who is holy. All right? So you're, you're not saved by good works. That, that doesn't do it. But child of God who is worth a fortune in Jesus Christ, do not forget that you are saved for good works. Good works. 
The gospel came to us through the nation of Israel, but salvation is available to every nation and every person on earth. As we read in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, God's will is that no one would perish, but that all might come to the knowledge of repentance. Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, Ephesians, Basic Christianity. Now here's Ron with a preview of tomorrow's message. You won't grow as a believer in Jesus Christ isolated from a local congregation. And no, you won't find a perfect church, but an imperfect church made up of imperfect people, saved by grace and through faith, is, is a better incubator of life transformation and spiritual formation than anything the world has to offer. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares part two of his message, Ephesians, Basic Christianity. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.